0: First let me say that I appreciate the opportunity that you good brethren have given me to be a part of your worship this morning. Mark Jones and I go back quite a number of years, and it is my hope that you will not hold that against me. Actually, uh, they worship for a brief period of time in the Chicagoland area, and we got to know them and their children, and their children are growing and continue to grow, and we're certainly grateful for the opportunity to see them as well as the rest of you good brethren. We know some of the other folks in this, this audience, and we have on occasion worshiped with you, but I've never had the opportunity to stand before you and share some insights from God's inspired Word. And so that is my intention this morning. One of the great dilemmas and difficulties one confronts when one is given the opportunity to be a guest speaker is from that whole large body of potential lessons to determine which lesson or two will be most appropriate. And that was one of the great dilemmas and difficulties that I confronted as a couple of weeks ago I knew that I was going to be standing before you and began to give some thought to what might be a good lesson to provide to somebody who really doesn't know me very well, what would be something that would be insightful, perhaps inspiring, things that would be of help to us as we go about our daily lives of attempting to serve our God. That dilemma was partially eliminated because several days ago, Edwin gave me a call and he told me that you, good brethren, are about a study of the book of Acts. Apparently, a workbook that Edwin has created, you are employing in your daily Bible reading And so he suggested, though it was not compulsory, that if I chose to do so, perhaps I might be interested in drawing a lesson from the opening chapters of the book of Acts. In fact, as I recall the conversation, I believe he said something like Acts chapter 6 through Acts chapter 13, which is a wide breadth of potential material to cover. But I have actually taken his advice, and I am this morning going to share with you some insights from the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And I'll speak more about that in just a few moments. By all accounts, the Bible is an amazing book. And I know that I don't need to say that to virtually everybody that is seated here this morning. We all are aware of the fact that the Bible was written over a period of about 1,600 years Best estimates are that about 40 men were involved in the writing of this particular book. And one of the things that stands in great amazement to all of us is that despite that great span of time in its writing, despite the many men that were involved in its writing, the Bible shows an amazing unity. We understand that unity of Scripture to come from the fact that the Bible is inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write what we now hold in our hands, this holy Word of God. But one of the things that occurs to me, and perhaps has occurred to you, is that with this particular document, the Holy Spirit inspiring men to write it, why were these particular events these particular stories, the ones that the Holy Spirit opted to capture in writing that we might all, even thousands of years later, study to know the mind of God. And that is probably even more amazing when one considers the book of Acts. Acts is, by most accounts, the central book of the entire Bible. In fact, when one considers Acts, we understand that Acts reveals for us the establishment of the church and the means of entry into it. In fact, I would suggest that the book of Acts stands as the centerpiece book of that Bible that you have in your lap. And all of the books that preceded, everything that comes before the book of Acts, reveals God's plan for getting saved, and everything that comes after the book of Acts reveals God's plan for staying saved. Indeed, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter gets up with the rest of the apostles and he begins to preach, we find now the fulfillment of all those books that preceded those events that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. But in the early pages of the book of Acts, and most of you have been reading along, perhaps in your studies in home, are provided for us five stories of conversion. In fact, the book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the book of conversions. All those people in different locations who are confronted with the Word of God and something happens in their heart and they determine it to be true and they are interested in obeying the Word of God. The question that I have, and perhaps this will spawn some thinking in your minds as well, is this. Of all of the possible stories of conversion, why is it that the Holy Spirit chose in the opening chapters of the book of Acts to tell us but five? In fact, by most accounts, when we look at Acts chapter 2, on that great day of Pentecost, we find that in a single day, 3,000 people were convicted in their hearts and became members of the Lord's Church. And as it continues from Acts chapter 2, and continues on through the opening chapters of the book of Acts, we find that the Bible refers to many, many others who became Christians. In fact, if we can believe, the scholars, they will tell us that prior to the dispersion caused by that great persecution, told of us in Acts chapter 8, that the church in Jerusalem probably had grown to about 10,000 people. Imagine that. Ten thousand Christians, and yet the Holy Spirit only reveals for us details about five conversions. And the question that has always occurred to me, and this will perhaps give you some insight on how I study the Bible, as I'm reading the Bible and as I'm reading Acts, I I try to get into the mind of the Holy Spirit. Why these only were the ones that were revealed for us? Out of all the scores, the tens of thousands, perhaps, of conversions, when one continues through the book of Acts, why were these particular ones singled out by the Holy Spirit? And I am going to attempt to try to answer that particular question this morning. And the answer to the question begins, first of all, I believe, with a statement about God's promise. You can keep your hands there in your Bibles in the book of Acts. We'll be coming back there and spending some time in just a few moments. But I believe the answer to the question, why did the Holy Spirit choose these particular conversion stories, perhaps begins, first of all, when one turns in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, again a familiar passage to all of us, we have these words beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be blessed, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And then in verse 3, the statement is, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That particular statement perhaps signals us to why the Holy Spirit has opted to reveal for us five basic conversions in the opening chapter of the book of Acts. That statement made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 is echoed when Peter gets up on that great sermon that he delivers on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, when he's quoting from the prophet Joel, he says, I will pour forth my Spirit upon all mankind. And then later in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, we read, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the real verse in Acts chapter 2 that I believe reveals for us why the particular conversion stories that are revealed for us were given is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Note there in your Bibles we read, The promise, and I believe that harkens all the way back to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, the promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off. And I believe that particular verse gives us the insight and the clue as to why of all the thousands of possible conversion stories that could have been revealed, these five that we're going to look at this morning were the ones that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to, to capture, inspired Luke to capture, the writer of Acts. And so let's get some attention from that particular statement in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, that this gospel, this good news, was delivered to all those who were afar off. And let's look at those early conversion stories. The first one of these, and we've already alluded to it in Acts chapter 2, is that great story of mass conversion that took place. On that day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, in that sermon that we have been looking at, Peter delivering that sermon, we take up our reading in verse 22 and we read, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, You nailed to a cross. And I might pause and suggest that Peter is delivering this blistering sermon. Probably, for emphasis, has pointed to all of those people who have gathered in Jerusalem. All of those Jews who are there present. He says, you nailed this man to a cross. Verse 24, and God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, and he quotes now from David, and we'll continue in verse 29. Brethren, he says, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of the descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And then verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God And I would submit to you that in this first opening salvo, if you will, of conversions, what the Bible reveals for us in verse 41 to be 3,000 people on that first day of the establishment of the Lord's church, that what we have going on here is the Holy Spirit is revealing this detail because it is conveying the fact that these Jews had gotten distance from God. They were far removed from God. Have you ever been in trouble? Children probably can identify with this, but adults as well. If you've ever been in trouble, sometimes you've done something you shouldn't have done, and it's about to be exposed. Remember how desperate and shaky you felt? That terrible, sinking feeling of knowing you had done something wrong, and it's about to be revealed. That's exactly what's going on in the pages of Acts chapter 2 as these people are gathered in Jerusalem, and as Peter is delivering the sermon, this dawning recognition that they had had a hand in the crucifixion of the Son of God must have left them in a terrible state of mind. And I believe this particular conversion story involving these 3,000 Jews is expressly provided for us because it proves the very point that this gospel is for those who are far off. You don't get much further from God than crucifying his son. And yet this particular account reveals for us that God is gracious and God is loving. He will even accept those who have had a hand in the crucifixion of his very son. By their baptism, even they who had crucified Jesus Christ were redeemed. And so I believe the Holy Spirit chose this event so we know that God can save those guilty of the worst of sin. Let's move on. Acts chapter 8. And in fact, it's interesting to note that after that great swell of conversions revealed for us in Acts chapter 2, we're given no particular details. The Bible tells us that the church grew, the numbers grew, Obviously, conversions occurred, but we're given no details about those particular conversions until we come all the way in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, we read these words. And by the way, notice earlier in Acts chapter 8 that this dispersion has taken place. Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been stoned because the people, the enemies of Christ, are emboldened by the crucifixion of Stephen. Persecution? arises for that church, that infant church that is currently only in Jerusalem, and people are dispersed. And some are dispersed to the region of Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, we read, Now there was a certain man, Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God, and they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And the story goes on about these conversions that are taking place in this particular region of Samaria. And these Samaritans... Perhaps it doesn't strike us as strange that Philip would be there preaching and that they would be receptive, but to the Jews of the day, we need to keep in mind that these Samaritans were viewed as hated half-breeds. The worst kind of discrimination that one could possibly fathom was going on amongst God's people, the Jews. They had nothing to do with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were viewed as dogs, as the scum of the earth. Perhaps the hint of of why this was so is found for us in 2 Kings chapter 17. There in two verses, verses 23 and 24, the Bible reveals for us that when the Assyrians came and attacked Samaria, that they would take the people of that particular region into captivity and they would leave in the place other people from other nations that they had defeated in war. And the general thinking is that those few Jews that were left in Samaria, perhaps not in the fortified cities, had intermarried with these foreign people that the Assyrians had left behind. And that is the general reason, thought, why the Samaritans were so discriminated upon by the Jews. They were half-breeds, impure stock, good only for ridicule and scorn. So I believe this particular conversion story involving Simon, the sorcerer, and all of the Samaritans in this particular region is provided for us because the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that even outcasts from society can be saved. That this gospel is for all who are afar off. And this simply reinforces that particular thought. We shouldn't be surprised those of us who are students of the Bible, those of us who have followed the life of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be followed by the fact that Philip goes to Samaria. He's followed there by Peter and John, and they proclaim and preach the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised by this, because Jesus himself had demonstrated a willingness to go into Samaria. While every self-respecting Jew would avoid that region like the plague, Jesus himself would travel through there. In fact, most of us are aware of the fact when one considers a map of the region that most Jews bypass Samaria when traveling between Jerusalem and Galilee. They would actually go to the east side of the Jordan River, adding miles to their journey in order not to pass through Samaria. Such is not the case with Jesus. In fact, John chapter 4 reveals for us that great exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember that particular story? How he shows a particular interest in that woman, even though no self-respecting Jew would give a Samaritan the time of day. And in that particular account in John chapter 4, while in Samaria, Jesus gave hope to the Samaritan woman at the well. He did not see in her an outcast. He did not see an ex-American woman one who was worthy of ridicule and scorn. In fact, it's interesting to know, when one considers for briefly Jesus Christ, that Jesus never saw an adulterer. Jesus never saw a thief. Jesus never saw a murderer. Well, let me express what I mean by that by sharing with you a story of an event that actually occurred some years ago in a religious seminary. One day, in order to get a class discussion going, a religious professor asked his students what some of the world's great religious leaders might say to an adulterer. Discussion was lively and intense. He was setting up the class to make a point. And when he felt the time was right, he asked what seemed to be the critical question. He said, what do you suppose Jesus would have said to an adulterer He was all primed to point out to the class the compassion and understanding which Jesus had for the fallen. He was all set to do his best to make Jesus look greater than all the great religious leaders put together. Once again, he asked, what do you think Jesus would have said to an adulterer? One of the students answered, Jesus never met an adulterer. The professor jumped at the opening He would show this guy a thing or two about Jesus and about the New Testament. Yes, he did, he responded. I'll show you in my Bible where the young man interrupted him. You didn't hear me, doctor. I said, Jesus never met an adulterer. Once again, the professor protested. Once again, he reached for his New Testament. He started to leaf through its pages, turning the passages which showed Jesus forgiving the woman taken in adultery. As he turned, he also thought of the Samaritan woman at the well. But before he could get to the verses, the student spoke again, this time with a touch of anger in his voice. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus never met an adulterer. Do you think when he looked at the woman caught in adultery, he saw an adulterer? Do you think he saw an adulterer when he spoke to the woman at the well? Doctor, listen to me. Jesus never met an adulterer. The professor fell silent. He was being corrected by a student who, in some ways, perhaps understood Jesus better than those who had studied the Bible all their lives. The story reminds us of one of the most notable characteristics of Jesus was that he paid special attention to the outcasts of society. He identified someone not by their sin or their disease, but by their need. A review of the New Testament shows Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, to be a God of the outcasts a God of all who are afar off. That is one of the notable things about Jesus Christ. Well, we have a tendency to look at the clothing that someone might wear, to look at their station in life, to look at the sin that they had committed. Jesus never fell victim to that. He always looked at people in terms of their need, because he was interested in saving all who were afar off. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit shares with us this particular story of the conversion of Simon the sorcerer, a sorcerer, somebody the Jews would have nothing to do with, and a Samaritan the boot, Because the Holy Spirit wanted through those conversion stories for us to realize that this gospel is for all who are afar off, even the outcasts and the dredges of society. The conversion stories continue, and we have several of them following right on the pages here of this particular event taking place in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose, and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And we won't read the rest of the account. We know it. Why did the Holy Spirit choose to share that particular conversion story? Is because this man was a foreigner, and he was far from the holy city of Jerusalem. I believe this particular story is provided for us because, number one, we're looking at somebody who is distant from that holy city of Jerusalem. Talk about afar off. He is afar off geographically. In fact, when one considers for a few moments this particular map, first of all, most scholars believe that the Ethiopia mentioned here, the Ethiopian eunuch, actually was the ancient region of Nubia. And Even despite that, when one considers for a few moments what has transpired, we find that this Ethiopian eunuch has traveled northward to Jerusalem in order to render worship unto God, and is now on his way southward, and actually, what he has done is he has traveled more than a thousand miles in order to worship his God. Talk about being afar off. I believe the Holy Spirit saw fit to reveal this particular conversion story because he wanted us to understand that this gospel, this good news, is for all who are far off, even those who might be geographically remote from the center of religion that at one time was in Jerusalem, but now is anywhere where saints come together in service to their God. I would argue that acceptance, For this particular visit that is recounted for us in Acts chapter 8, this Ethiopian eunuch likely never returned to Jerusalem because the city of Jerusalem was no longer the only place in which one could serve God. With the establishment of the Lord's church, I believe he went back to this ancient place of Nubia and he shared that good news with his family members and the Lord's church sprung up even in this remote location on the face of the globe. Acts chapter 9, continuing, We find one who could only be described as a persecutor. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And we all know the story of the conversion of Saul. That particular conversion story, the conversion story of a persecutor, I believe is shared with us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because it reveals for us that even one who had a hand in killing Christians is welcomed by the Lord. It's bad enough when one considers the Jews who killed Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. But here we have a man by the name of Saul who has as his business the persecution and the death of those who are the bride of Christ. Certainly the Holy Spirit reveals the story of the conversion of Saul because he is going to be a key figure in the rest of the book of Acts. But one of the reasons he is so critical in terms of his conversion is because the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that this gospel, this good news, is even for the most despicable, murderous at heart person that exists upon the face of the globe. It is evidence and it is proof that when God says the gospel is for those afar of off, it is confirmed in the conversion here of Saul. Even Saul, even Saul, retrospectively, understands how far away he was from God. When in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, we read, Paul writing, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then we come to the last conversion of the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And the question might occur in our mind, why was this particular conversion story revealed? In Acts chapter 10, the story of the conversion of a Gentile. And not just a Gentile, not one who was simply alien? From that household of faith, the Jews, but one who was not only not Jewish, but was also a Roman soldier. One who could only be deemed to be an enemy of God's people. And despite the great acclaim, despite the wonderful resume that we find in the opening chapters, the opening verses of Acts chapter 10 about this Cornelius, he still constituted the enemy of God's people, the Jews. this particular account beginning in verse 24 of Acts chapter 10 after Cornelius is sent for Peter notice that on the following day he entered Caesarea now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends and when it came about that Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him and Peter raised him up saying stand up I too am just a man and as he talked with him he entered and found many people Assembled, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And Peter begins to preach, it goes against his nature to be in the house of Cornelius, this foreigner, this Gentile, a member of the Roman legion, who is an enemy of God's people, the Jews, and yet Peter stands there and he preaches, and the Holy Spirit reveals this conversion because even this man who was afar off is welcome into the fold of God. And then verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured upon the Gentiles also. And they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on a few days. Somebody who's afar off. Somebody who is as distant from God as the world could possibly fathom. Is at the heart of every single conversion story in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit chose these stories so that we would know no matter how bad we are, no matter how distant we have become. From our God and our Creator, that the gospel good news is for us, and every single person in this auditorium who is now a Christian was at one time afar off, because that is what sin does to us. It separates us from our God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 tells us, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, but the gospel accounts, the conversions of Acts tell us that no matter how far we have drifted from God, no matter how much sin that we have gone into, no matter how low our station in life, that this good news of the tens of thousands conversion stories that the Holy Spirit could have chosen to reveal and to share with us through the inspired writing of Luke. He chose these so that we know that we are without excuse. We have done nothing so bad. We have not drifted so far that the welcoming message of the gospel of Christ can draw us back into a covenant relationship with our God. God keeps his promises. The promise of salvation is for all, even you. If there are those in our audience this morning who are now children of God, perhaps the thinking you go through is, I'm not good enough. I've done so many things in my life. I have skeletons in my closet. There are things that I am ashamed of. The gospel account, the conversion stories of Acts, welcoming you into the household of faith. By showing you, no matter how far you have drifted, no matter how far you are from God, you are welcomed into his fold, and you are welcomed this morning. And we invite you to come while we stand and sing.